Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we've heard my co-host speak often of the Butlerverse. Yeah? Well, this week, I went into the Dieselverse. I'm Jeff Braun, and that sounds like something I'm very on board with. Pixar, meantime, has a new movie out this weekend, so I'll review Luca. And Jeff had another fun movie experience this week. For the first time in decades, he went to the drive-in. But first, let's talk about that new Pixar animated movie out this weekend, free for subscribers on Disney+. Plus. It's Luca. Everything good is above the surface. That's crazy. If my parents found out, it would be bad. Come on. Follow my lead. That's not right. Streaming June 18th on Disney+. Plus. The world is a very dangerous place. Never go near the surface. Why do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims. Don't worry. We got this. Disney and Pixar's Luca. Rated PG. Streaming June 18th on Disney+. Plus. Luca is set on the Italian Riviera, one of the most gorgeous places on the planet. I'm pretty sure George Clooney lives there a lot of the time. Specifically, it's set in this little seaside village where every year the local pasta company hosts a big race, a triathlon of sorts involving swimming and cycling like a regular triathlon. But instead of running, they have to eat a big bowl of pasta. Yes, much is made throughout the film about the Italy of it all. In fact, the credits are in Italian, but make no mistake, it's still a very Hollywood enterprise. And the story is universal. It'll translate well around the world, I'm sure. The story actually begins at sea in the Mediterranean near the town where we meet Luca, who is a sea monster who lives in the sea. He's about 12 years old, I would guess, and he's a fish herder of some sort. He has this big crooked stick like a shepherd, and he guides a school of fish to areas where they can find food. One day he meets Alberto, another sea monster kid, and the two become friends, and it's quickly apparent that Alberto is the bad influence kind of kid who goads Luca into joining him on the land, which is forbidden to the sea monsters. Now, when I say sea monster, they have humanoid bodies, except that they're green and blue and they have fins, they have a tail. But when they go on land, they transform to look like humans. So Luca goes on land and into the town and they get mixed up with this girl in the town who wants to win the race. And they join our team, hoping to win enough prize money to buy a Vespa scooter, which they see as total freedom because they could go anywhere on land with a Vespa scooter. It sounds weird, but there it is. It's partly a a fish-out-of-water story, literally, as Luca discovers what it's like to be a land dweller. It's also about friendship a lot, as the three of them have their different connections to each other and issues and whatnot. And it's an entertaining adventure story, which uh, obviously is going to climax with the big race. There's a local bully kid who's super obnoxious standing in their way. And of course, Luca and Alberto are always in danger of being found out if they get wet, splashed on, rained on, whatever. They'll transform back into sea monsters, and the humans hate the sea monsters. So there's quite a lot of things happening all at once, which helps the time zoom by. It's also nice that the movie's only 90 minutes long. More like that, please, Hollywood. I I was pretty into it. I got to say, I love the setting and the look of the movie. Old cobblestone streets, that sort of thing. Very cozy and aspirational. And some scenes are out at sea, which I also always love. Just a setting you don't see very often, especially in animated kids movies. I, I do think a lot of it was pretty predictable, but it still got me a lot of the time where I was surprised by a turn of events and then quickly thought, oh, of course that's how that was going to play out. Duh. So either the movie gets credit for drawing me in enough to make me not realize in the moment how it was going to go, or the movie gets credit for genuinely being well-written enough that you wouldn't notice that stuff until after it happens in that the seams don't show. So I really do think I was drawn in a lot by the setting. I am a sucker for a good setting. I've uh, mentioned before 
before how I love stuff made in Hawaii because it's so pretty. Same goes for the Italian Riviera, apparently. I mean, the uh, movies like The Talented Mr. Ripley or uh, To Catch a Thief, that's a uh, good stuff set there. It looks just terrific. Um, and we got to add Luca to the list now. It's re- got some really weird stuff in it, but I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a good family movie. So three and a half couch cushions out of five for Luca out this weekend on Disney Plus, Brett. I'm surprised they did not release this in theaters, like a Pixar movie just going straight to Disney Plus. Yeah, and I, I read part of an article where it seems some of the Pixar people were surprised by that as well and not too impressed. I don't know that... Uh, I, it's just a... I think Disney Plus is still testing the waters for what works for just for free for streaming or for trying or selling uh, for $30 to rent on streaming or putting in theaters. I think they're trying a bunch of different things still, and uh, I'm sure they've got their uh, accounting nerds or whatever crunching all the numbers to find out what drives up subscribers and what brings in cash for one weekend kind of thing. And I'm sure however it best benefits Disney Plus is what will be the the long-term future of this sort of thing. But for now, I think they're still experimenting, and that means this weekend you get to see Luca for free on Disney Plus. Yeah, and I'm just looking at a headline here now from CNBC that says, Luca may be going to Disney Plus, but the future for Pixar is on the big screen. So amen to that. Also should just point out as well that there is a movie that is new in theaters this week where movie theaters are open. The Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. You're going to tell us everything you know. (laughs) I'm not telling you a mother... You can electrocute him all day. It'll only make him angrier. On the other hand, we'll tell you everything. Really? Michael Bryce was trying to put his past behind him. You need to forget bodyguarding. Repeat after me. No bodyguarding. No bodyguarding. Then he got pulled back in. Let's go! Jeez. To protect this homicidal nutbag's wife. What is he doing here? I said, get anyone but Michael Bryce. I believe it's pronounced, thank you. So it's a sequel to a movie that came out in 2017. And in 2017, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson teamed up for the hitman's bodyguard. The world's top bodyguard gets a new client. A hitman who must testify at the International Criminal Court. They must put their differences aside and work together to make it to the trial on time. And it was a pretty decent hit. It made $176 million worldwide. But I don't believe it had favorable reviews. Uh, I'm just pulling up the Rotten Tomatoes right now. 43% for that one. And JB, you saw that, didn't you? I did not see that, but while that clip was playing, I was thinking in my head, why have I not seen that? So, because I I watched Hobbs and Shaw this past weekend, and Ryan Reynolds has a small, like a glorified cameo in that. He's in two or three scenes, and I laughed out loud the whole time he was on screen, and then listening to him in the clip there, I was like, I need to watch this movie because that sounds like something I would actually enjoy. And probably now, I'm I'm looking up to see if it is uh, streaming anywhere. It's not. it's not well from what I, from what I can tell it is not it's a Lionsgate movie and they have not been releasing their movies at the same time for premium video on demand so for us in Manitoba 
We don't get to see this, but I know movie theaters are opening in various spots in the country. BC, Alberta, they'll be able to see this movie. Ontario, they're still a ways off from movies, but and we can't uh, see them yeah, here in Manitoba as well. So, But the first, the first movie is on Netflix. I just found that out. I've not seen that, so I think I will watch that one of these days uh, because for free on Netflix, it's worth a shot even if the reviews are bad. Yeah, and it has a good cast too. It's got, uh, as mentioned, Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Salma Hayek plays the wife, Antonio Banderas is in this, Morgan Freeman is in it, Richard E. Grant, and more. So the it, great cast, looks fun. But it's not getting the best reviews. It's at 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it is also short. It's an hour and 39 minutes. So there we go. kind of just gets in and out. I don't know. I, yeah, I think I might watch that first one, too. I always wanted to watch it. And I love everything Ryan Reynolds does. I love pretty much everything Samuel L. Jackson does. And with that cast, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can defy the odds and uh, enjoy that. So... <laughs> That's new in theaters where available and where they are not available. You'll just have to wait likely a few weeks. I think Lionsgate has been doing their video on demand releases two or three weeks after that. So just keep an eye out for that if that's something you're really wanting to see and can't go see it in the theater. Up next, Jeff goes to the drive-in. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I had a movie experience this week that I haven't had in probably 25 years. I went to a drive-in and I saw Wonder Woman 84. Diana, one day this world will be ready for all that you will do. This world is a beautiful place. But it deserves you. You can save it. Wonder Woman 84, not bad. Three couch cushions out of five. I think the main problem with it is uh, all the magic involved. I mean, superhero movies always have some crazy fantastical stuff in them. And most of the time, it's easy enough to get on board and just go with it. But for some reason, I found it harder to get on board with it in Wonder Woman. Uh, I think because they literally say the word magic and wish so often that it just seems silly. The movie also goes nearly a whole hour between action scenes at one point, which is not what you want in a superhero movie. And it's two and a half hours long, which is ridiculous. Now, I'm not here to dump on uh, Wonder Woman too much because actually all those problems aside, I really enjoyed it. But a lot of that had to do with the driving experience. We're in Winnipeg, and the only drive-in nearby is in the town of Morden, Manitoba, just over an hour's drive away. It's the same one my friends and I went to quite a bit as teenagers, which was two towns over from the small town in which I grew up. We saw a lot of movies there. I specifically remember the times we saw The Fugitive and Cliffhanger. Anyways, it was a lovely night for a drive one day this week. I got there around 9.30. The movie set to start at 10.10, and it only ended after 12.30, so I got home around 2 a.m. Not ideal, but again, the movie was two and a half damn hours long, and I had that bit of a drive ahead of me. Again, let's not dismiss the fact that this week is also the longest week of the year as far as sunshine goes, and you have to wait for some darkness to set in before a drive-in movie. So it was a long movie starting about as late as it can possibly start because of uh, the sunrise and sunset. And in fact, since I was in my car with the radio on, I could see the clock the whole time, and after midnight... After midnight, there was still a faint orange glow on the prairie horizon. It was a gorgeous sunset that literally took like two hours to complete itself. And while the movie played in front of me, that was going on to the side. Really a wonderful sight to behold. And then the stars were out too. So it was just uh, 
you, you can't ask for anything better than that. Um, I did really also like that I could control the volume myself. And while I did buy some popcorn and Twizzlers, I brought my own drinks, which was nice. Saved myself more calories and sugar by drinking some flavored sparkling water instead of pop, my new favorite drink. It was also really nice to be in a crowd of strangers all watching the same thing again, Brett. I mean, we were all separated by being in our own vehicles, but there was still that communal feeling, which we've missed so much these past 15 months. So it was a journey and I only got five hours sleep, but it was a lot of fun. If you haven't been to a drive-in lately, I definitely uh, recommend checking one out if there's one nearby or within an hour or two, that sort of thing. But they are pretty rare nowadays. I mean, there used to be one where I am in Winnipeg, less than five minutes from my house, but that thing got torn down 15 or 20 years ago, I think, at this point, which is too bad because during this pandemic, that would have come in real handy almost every week for me. But I had a glorious time at the drive-in. If uh, another movie ends up playing sometime this summer that I'm interested in going to see, I think I will go back. I have not been, yeah, for me, it's probably been 25 years as well. The last drive-in movies that I saw, it was a double feature. I think it was 1997. Hang on, I'm just pulling up uh, this movie. Yep, 1997. It was Men in Black and The Fifth yeah. Element. And nice. Are, but I think The Fifth Element, I'm trying to remember which one came first. I think it was The Fifth Element. And uh, I think I'd already seen The Fifth Element, but uh, I, I had a hard time seeing it because it was a double feature. They started it early, so there was still a fair amount of sunlight, so it was hard to yeah. see the picture. And uh, but when I was a kid, I think maybe once I went to a drive-in, and of all the movies that I could have gone to see, it was Masters of the Universe, which is a terrible movie. Do you remember but that? But on the way there, you were very excited, weren't you? Because, I mean, I imagine little Brett McGarry was very into He-Man. Oh, yeah. 1987, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Ivan Ivan Drago as He-Man. Yeah, I was <laughs> pumped for that. And my parents had a station wagon at the time, so they let the, my sister and I sort of sit in the back part of it with blankets and stuff. So it was fun. It was it was cool and a really neat experience. I would like to go back to a drive-in, and you're right, it'd be nice to control the volume because, because sometimes uh, they, they just crank the sound so loud, it just drowns yeah. out all the bass, blows your head off, and uh, that's not fun for anybody. So, uh, yeah. I remember going to a drive-in when I was a kid with my parents and my little sister, and they took us to see a Cheech and Chong movie. <laughs> because that was back like I don't know if they didn't do any research or ask one human being what kind of movie this is but about five minutes into it you know and my dad's like well we already paid so we're staying that, that wasn't an option he just turned around looked at us he's like close your eyes cover your ears for like an hour and a half while him and my mom watched the movie <laughs> did you? yeah Oh. Under a, he was, that was a authoritative enough that when he spoke, you listened. Oh my gosh! Okay, so that's cool that you got to go see a drive-in, and I, I just to, to echo some of your sentiments on Wonder Woman eighty four. I think we're pretty much bang on in agreeing uh, at least on a lot of this stuff because I enjoyed it. I just didn't love it. I too yeah. thought it was too long, and uh, I didn't so much have a problem with all of the with the whole magic. Of it all, I just found like it was not that thrilling. I mean, you're right. There wasn't enough action. You expect action. And Wonder Woman has proven to be one of 
the most, I think, one of the most electrifying superheroes to watch because of the unique style she's been given. You know, she's got this elegant ferocity that, uh, you know, when she's like sliding around on the floor doing her sweep kicks and stuff. Yeah. Uh, she's just so much fun to watch or beat people up. <laughs> I wanted to see more of that. And the opening action scene that opens the movie is with her. It's a flashback to when she was a little kid. So, I mean, technically Diana Prince is in the scene, but it's not Wonder Woman. It's just a kid doing this uh, obstacle course race thing. So it's like, that's, it counts as an action scene, but it's not a like a Wonder Woman fighting bad guys kind of scene that you'd like. And it was also cool that they, they found a, a way to bring back Chris Pine a little bittersweet as the movie went along, but uh, it was still good to see him again because I think he's great in that role, the role of Steve Trevor. Uh, he, I enjoyed him <laughs> what, figuring out all the stuff he was encountering in the 80s because yeah. he was a character from the First World War in that first yeah. Wonder Woman movie. All right, in a moment, I am going to tell you about the Dieselverse. I'll explain what that means and how deep I went. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and I have gone back into my DVD vault once more to watch a movie I've not watched in years. In fact, it led to me watching three movies that I have not watched in years. A couple weeks ago, it was Face Off. Hadn't watched any of my DVDs in I don't know how long, even for movies I would really like to watch again. But because they're DVDs, I haven't done it. I know, what a snob. I've just gotten so used to Blu-ray and better that I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But I watched Face Off, and you know what? It was fine on DVD, and I loved the movie once more. So that got me thinking, what else have I got here on these shelves that I haven't watched in a long time? So I had a peek at my DVD shelves, and I decided to take a step back into the Dieselverse, or the... Viniverse, if you prefer. Vin Diesel, but not yes. for Fast and Furious movies. Although I did recently rewatch Fast Five on Blu-ray about a month ago, and that's still a blast. No, I mean one of his other big characters, Riddick. Have you ever watched any of the Riddick movies, Jeff? I have not. I I've, was led to believe by you or maybe someone else that they were too scary for me or maybe too gory for me or maybe both. Yeah, um, the first one, yeah, third one, probably. Second one is completely different, and I'll explain all of that in a second mm. here. The movie I specifically wanted to watch and ended up watching first is The Chronicles of Riddick, which is the second film in the trilogy. I would point out the other two movies are on Netflix, but not The Chronicles of Riddick. Of course, the one I really wanted to watch isn't available for streaming anywhere, I don't understand that. I was too frustrated to even look up and try to figure out why. So I just watched it on DVD, but let's go in order. In the year 2000 came a movie that was really the breakout role for Vin Diesel. He had been in a couple of things before that. He had a small role in uh, Boiler Room. Do you remember that movie, the stuck room fraud drama with uh, Ben Affleck had a cameo in that? I remember that movie coming out and stuff. I never did see that movie. Vin Diesel, of course, also had a small role in Saving Private Ryan. And uh, he was the voice of the Iron Giant. Uh, but yeah. Pitch Black, I think, was the one that really did it for him. So here's a clip. They say most of your brain shuts down in cryosleep. All but the animal side. Guess that's why I'm still awake. Commercial transport ship and its crew are marooned on a planet with two suns. 
So the planet is in perpetual sunlight. One of the passengers was a prisoner, Riddick. He's a big hulk of a man who always wears these dark goggles because he can see in the dark. He he had his eyes filed. So now they're shiny and he can see people sneaking up on him in the dark. But it also means he has to wear the shades in the light. It's a really cool effect when we get to see what he's seeing. He sees in the dark. Everything's got this kind of like purplish hue. It's a really nifty effect. So he escapes the crash site. So now they have to watch out for him. But it turns out They've got a bigger problem. All you people are so scared of me. But it ain't me you gotta worry about now. Whenever it is, it got Zeke and it nearly got me! Get it off me! They seem to stick to darkness. So if we stick to daylight, we should be all right. Monsters, monsters that only come out in the dark. On a planet with two suns, normally no problem. But in this case, there is a rare eclipse and they've just happened to have crash landed on this planet just as this eclipse is about to happen. So as you can imagine, they're pretty much doomed. So when this came out back in 2000, I remember being pumped about it. Had no idea who Vin Diesel was, but uh, I really liked it. It's a simple little sci-fi horror movie yep it's uh, it's scary at times and and kind of gross at times i guess but i dug it most it's a modest budget 23 million dollars and it ended up making 39 million dollars domestic and like i said i was suddenly very intrigued in seeing more stuff with vin diesel you're not afraid of the dark are you although to be fair i don't know why the fast and the furious came out the year after and it took me like 10 years to watch that after it came out maybe longer i didn't watch it until Fast Five came out. That's when I finally got into the Fast and Furious movies. So I still don't know why I was against those or didn't care to see those. But anyway, Vin Diesel, I thought it was cool in that. In 2004, a sequel arrived. It's a completely different movie, a much more expansive story that's really actually kind of bonkers. But I love it. The Chronicles of Riddick. They are a plague that now sweeps through the worlds of man, leaving behind a trail of dead planets and towering icons, monuments to their unholy crusade. All those poets on all those worlds who spoke of war as such an unsightly thing, they never stood here. Never fails to inspire, does it, each time a world falls? The Necromongers, a dark army that will convert or kill every last human life, unless they can be stopped. But sometimes, the only way to stop evil is not with good. You must confront it with another kind of evil. Who the hell are you? Riddick. Colmfjord plays the Lord Marshal of the Necromongers, as you heard being told by Judy Dench, who plays a, an elemental being. She's kind of this, like, mystical thing. She can, you know, she can make her body sort of 
turn into air. Uh, that's kind of a neat effect. So the Necromongers are this evil race of people. They're making their way through space. They're converting as many people as they can to their religion. Those who don't convert stay on the planet and die because the Necromongers have the technology to wipe out an entire planet. Just so happens they land on a planet where Riddick is hiding. Are you going to stop the monsters now? I am the monster. So even though she said a different kind of evil, i.e. Riddick, he's not actually really evil. He's not even a bad guy. You know, we learn much more about his backstory in this. And it turns out he's just lived his whole life on the run and trying to avoid being killed from birth. So you wouldn't be all that nice either. And you might find a, a pair of filed eyes would come in handy as well. Sadly, it only made $58 million domestic on a $105 million budget, so it was kind of seen as a flop, and it did make $115 million worldwide, but that really wasn't enough to uh, make this into a, a bigger franchise. But I loved this movie. I thought it was had really big action, cool story that took us to all sorts of different spots. Like They really expanded the world that they just sort of referred to in Pitch Black, because Pitch Black was, in, was set in one place. This is set on many different planets, and including one called Crematoria, which is really cool because in the sunlight there, the surface is basically on fire. Like the planet, half of the planet is on fire the whole time. And then in the dark, it's actually much colder. And you could question the science behind that, but you know what? Star Wars, every single planet they go to, they can just get off their ship and breathe the free air and the gravity is the same and no one ever complains about that. So I have no complaints about this. It's a science fiction. Who cares? Just enjoy it. It's also got a good supporting cast, including Tandy Newton and Carl Urban. And we still got this. You're not afraid of the dark, are you? So then in 2013, so it jumped ahead almost 10 years, we did finally get a third Riddick movie called Riddick. How many times I've been crossed off the list and left for dead? So this, this ain't nothing new. So this one scales back the expansive world building for a simpler story again. They wanted to tell a bigger story, but they didn't get the budget they required. So they still got $38 million, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not nearly enough for the big blockbuster-type story they had, so they went with a simpler story. Still had cool visual effects, just wasn't as big a movie as they wanted. Stuck on a random, mostly lifeless planet, except for some random monsters. He's left for dead by the Necromongers, eventually figures out how to survive, and figures out how to get off the planet by activating the, the emergency beacon, knowing that a team of mercenaries would come looking for him to collect their bounty. But the problem here is, once again, monsters. Just like in Pitch Black, there are monsters who come out, not specifically because it's dark, but they come out when it gets dark and rainy. So when I first saw this movie, I complained it was just too similar to Pitch Black. But you know what? Having seen it again, I liked it a lot more. And I think it's because I watched all three movies sort of back to back to back. I've never really done that. Uh, so, I, you know, I gained more insight into the Riddick character. He's a really cool character. And in, you know, classic Vin Diesel style, this character is near impossible to defeat. He's practically invincible. He's endlessly creative. Uh, he's got tremendous ingenuity. He can weasel his way. At, well, that's, a, that's the wrong word to use. He can get out of any sticky situation with ease. He's like known across the universe as like a badass. So 
If you haven't seen these movies, I do recommend them. Maybe a little scary. Maybe even just try, Jeff, The Chronicles of Riddick, uh, because you don't need to have seen Pitch Black to understand anything about this particular story. So, yeah. It is. It sounds intriguing, and I do love me some uh, Vin Diesel, because uh, I just can't get enough of the Fast and the Furious movies. So maybe I will get to check that out one day. So once again, Pitch Black and Riddick are on Netflix. Chronicles of Riddick is not available on any of the streaming platforms, so you could probably rent it on a digital source. Or like I said, I I watched it on DVD, and now I'm going to look to see if I can get it in 4K Blu-ray. In a moment, what's Jeff been watching? Lots. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I finished a couple of series I've been uh, whiling away at this week. First up, let's talk about Yellowstone. There's an arms race going on in this valley. The weapon is land. That land is mine. Nobody can sell it but me. You're a bully and a coward. You stole the one thing a cowboy doesn't steal. You think you win in this game? You don't even know the damn rules. Don't worry. I'm going to teach them to you. Yellowstone is a series from Taylor Sheridan, who uh, wrote Hell or High Water and Sicario, some other good movies. So he knows uh, how to write something, and he's proven it with this series. It took me five months to watch the three seasons that are out there. To be fair, it actually took me four and a half months to finish the first two seasons and two weeks to cruise through season three, which I really enjoyed. There was something about the first half of season two that made me stop watching for a while. Can't remember specifically, but there are some story threads that are all about the business end of things that were not always very exciting, so I'm guessing it was that. And the business, of course, is ranching. Yellowstone is a modern-day Western set on a ranch called Yellowstone in Montana. Kevin Costner plays John Dutton, the owner of the ranch and the family patriarch. He runs it with his three kids, Casey, Beth, and Jamie. Casey's a real cowboy type. Jamie is a lawyer type. And Beth, well, she's the business type, and she's also the big wild card in the family. She's a scrappy, foul-mouthed one and a fan favorite, I'm sure. There's also a guy named Rip, the head ranch hand played by Cole Hauser who is unrecognizable when uh, you're mostly used to seeing him in movies like Goodwill Hunting or Dazed and Confused and Too Fast Too Furious speaking of Vin Diesel who's not in Too Fast Too Furious Anyway, there's also literally a barn full of other ranch hands, and the show revolves around life on the ranch from all their perspectives, and it's very soapy, like like primetime soapy. A lot of people say like Dallas, but with F-bombs and a lot more violence. Honestly, given the setup with the rich family that owns the estate and the hired help who live on the estate, it's very much like a cowboy version of Downton Abbey, and I suspect the Venn diagram of the audiences for each show don't overlap very much, even though I'm pretty sure if you like one of those shows, you will like the other so if you've seen one but not the other i would say give the other a chance very different settings but very similar problems the family is rich yet the business is always in trouble of some sort that sort of thing the stuff with rip and the cowboys is always the most fun while the business stuff like i said can be downright tedious at times the jamie character changes jobs so often that when you binge it even a slow binge like i did it's almost ridiculous how he constantly jumps from one career to another overall though a fun show a fun world to visit and the season three finale 
finally finished with this amazing cliffhanger like some of those primetime soapy dramas used to specialize in in the 80s. Season 4 can't come fast enough. No word from Paramount Plus yet as to when that'll happen. For now, if you've not seen it, I do recommend you watch it. You can catch up on Amazon Prime Video. I also finished Season 2 of Ragnarok, which just came out on Netflix two weeks ago, so that's lightning speed watching for me, even though there were only six episodes. That's the Norwegian show about a modern-day teenager who becomes Thor and has to fight the rich family in the small town he lives in. We won't won't dwell on the setting it up too much. We just did just talk about it two weeks ago, but it was a terrific season. They go deeper into the Thor lore, introducing new characters. And again, thanks to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're already familiar with a lot of the names and history surrounding Thor. When an old man with an eye patch shows up, you can sort of see where it's going. Same with all the stuff regarding the hammer. Story-wise, I thought it was a good continuation from season one and clearly sets up season three. And I sort of hope that'll be the end of it, Brett, because there really only seems to be one overarching story that they're telling and if they drag it out beyond the third season I think it'll start to feel like they are stalling but so far so good uh, with Ragnarok on Netflix what did you think of it I loved season two of Ragnarok I really liked that first season but I thought season two was much tighter overall the cinematography got better the performances I don't know if they got better I mean they were good in the first season as well but they were just so emotional and I think the the climactic moment when that teenager fully embraces his thorness, for lack yeah. of a better term, <laughs> I like cheered when he when he did his Thor thing. I don't want to spoil what happens. It's such a short scene, but it was so powerful because of the the journey that he took through that second season. Uh, it was just the payoff was tremendous, and I loved it. So I can't wait to see the third season. And you're right if they if they can't figure out a way to move on to a different story. I don't know that we'll need much more of this. And because it's a European show, we probably won't get much more of this, right? Like, they don't drag series out for years and years and years and years and years like North American shows do. So I can't imagine we're going to get much more than three, maybe four seasons of Ragnarok. Yeah, I think so too. And you're right. Uh, over in Europe, they, they're pretty good about keeping stuff uh, tight and short and just like once we've made our point, we're done. And now we're done. We've made our point. We got to get out. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet so you can get the show a little bit sooner or you can listen to it, of course, on this radio station. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.